I'm David Heitler Clevens. And I'm Rodney Wittenberg. And this is Music for the New Revolution. Welcome to People's Light. We hope you have a wonderful morning. Please put your hands together one more time as we welcome our special guests, Reggie Harris and Alistair Mook. Enjoy! I want you to, on the count of three, say that word with a little style, a little gusto, and a little emphasis. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. One, two, three. That's what I'm talking about. Well, this song's been around for a long, long time. And it's a song that people used to sing Oh, back in the 1800s when my ancestors were singing about freedom when they didn't even have any. But they knew that if they sang about it and they thought about it and then they worked for it, that one day they might get it. And so this is one of the songs they sang. And it's an easy song for you to sing because all you have to do is sing back to me what I sing to you. Like this. I'm on my way. To freedom land. I'm on my way. To freedom land. I'm on my way. To freedom land. Oh, that was pretty good. And then we actually sing two lines together. And they go like this. I'm on my way. Oh, yes, I'm on my way. first part again and then we'll sing those two lines together and we'll pitch this song out. I'm on my way, I'm on my way to freedom land. of us maybe we need to sort of uh, try this take out your hands <clears throat> and uh, when we say I'm on my way I want you to go I'm on my way oh yes <laughs> yes oh yes I think that might work so let's try that here we go one two I'm on my way oh yes I'm on my way 
Now you will forgive us for not doing the oh yes because we're kind of busy right here. Okay, fine. So, but if you keep that going, I think it's going to add a little something, something to the song, and I think it will. Yeah, it's making me feel better. Let's try another verse. If you won't go, if you won't go, don't stop me now. If you won't go, don't stop me now. If you won't go, don't stop me now. Here we go. I'm on my way. Oh, yes, I'm on my way. I asked my mother to go with me. I asked my father to go with me. I asked my sister to go with me. Oh, I'm on my way. Oh, yes, I'm on my way. Oh, I asked my brother to go with me. I asked my friend to go with me. I asked my sister, my brother, my friend, everybody go with me. I'm on my way. Oh, that's right. Clap your hands. I'm on my way. On my way. To freedom land. Freedom. I'm on my way. To freedom land. I'm on my way. Oh, to freedom land. I'm on my way. Oh, yes, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I'm on my way, oh yes, I'm on my way. So we are here with Reggie Harris and Alistair Mook, and uh, it is our pleasure to get a chance to talk with you, uh, two of our favorite people on Music for the New Revolution. Hi. Hi. Great to be here. Yes, welcome. And we're going to talk to them about their 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 new um, thing they've been doing. They've been playing shows together and teaching young kids about teaching about African American history, uh, which is American history. And uh, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about how this came about and uh, you know how how you got together and 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 put the show together. Well, I have to give uh, credit to my friend Alistair. Um, we've known each other for years. Um, and uh, when the pandemic started in 2020, um, Alistair, I think, sent me an email or called me and said, uh, can we have some conversations? It was a prime time for conversation uh, because so much was going on in the world. And there was some, such a great opportunity to um, take a look at a lot of things that were rising, both, you know, inspired from the pandemic, but also with the Confederate statues. And, and in particular, um, Alistair had already been having some conversations with a family music forward group. Uh, on diversity in, in music and, and just some of the issues around racism uh, in entertainment and, and in the world. And our conversations uh, led us to a deeper uh, appreciation of our friendship um, and some close examination of what we might do um, as individuals, but also as a, you know, as a duo to take a look at how we could have the you know, conversations about music, about history, about prejudice, um, we call it race and song, um, and it is a conversation. 
that we videoed. Uh, we were happy to go to Passim, uh, the Club Passim in, in Boston. It's been a real opportunity to um, bring kids and their families and uh, eventually also adults into the recognition that we have a wonderful opportunity in this time to deepen the conversations that we have about what's going on in the world. And, you know, some of it's about race, but some of it really is just about injustice and particularly about music and how music helps us to get at those issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the key uh, to the program that we do together is really modeling conversations, um, how to have interracial conversations about um, race, but also about everything. And um, the, just the, the nature of us sitting together, kind of leaning into our years long friendship, playing music together. Um, it's been striking to me, both Reggie and I have worked with kids for many years, um, but kids really sit up and lean in on this one. They, uh, they wanna have these conversations, it's very clear. And, and I, I don't know, my experience has been that I think schools wanna have these conversations are very nervous about how to have them um, for good reason. You know, there's a whole part of our country that's up in arms and conflating concepts that they've heard about here or there. And, um, you know, in some ways, maybe it's safer to bring in to, you know, if all goes wrong, they can just blame it on those. <laughs> <laughs> Very they convenient. Done wrong. They've, <laughs> they've done really, really well. <laughs> Have you run into any situations where there was any pushback from uh, parents who've been whipped up into a frenzy about CRT, et cetera? I don't think we've directly encountered, uh, but what we have seen in particular uh, is a reluctance. Um, I know in the last couple of months, we've had some parents say, well, I don't, I don't know if, you know, how we can present this. I don't know if our kids are ready, you know, um, you know, the younger kids might not be kind of ready for this. We're not sure if this is the right thing to bring in at this time. Uh, which is something I think both of us have heard over the years. I mean, you know, there's nothing like standing on stage and, you know, opening a question and answer to an auditorium of, of school kids with the teacher standing there and have a kid stand up and say, so is this racism thing, you know, um, real, you know? And um, I had, you know, I remember years ago, I had one fifth grader in uh, Norfolk, Nebraska, um, say, you know, why were only black people slaves? And I looked to the side, and uh, the teachers were all going, oh, good. <laughs> you can just see them tense up. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, uh, I think we have, both of us having uh, thought about all of these things a lot and also experienced working in these, these uh, situations, can approach this without tensing up. Uh, without, uh, you know, in one of our question and answers, one of the first questions we got was that, you know, directed at Alistair and, and little African-American kid said, so are you a racist? And uh, Alistair just kind of glided into it. And uh, and we had a great conversation about what that means and, and, and you know, how he sees himself and, and how our friendship, you know, uh, helps us to look at things like that. So, um, staying calm and also modeling that we don't have all the answers that, you know, the conversation is about getting at these issues without necessarily tying it all up in a bow. So Alistair, what, what was your response that day? Um, well, um, I asked him first, 
Mm. Um, what do you think? You just watched the program that Reggie and I did together. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what does that word mean to you? And um, what do you think? Um, and I can't remember exactly what he answered. Um, you could see the other kids. This was a, a very mixed race classroom in, in Cambridge. Um, you could see sort of the white kids tense up and the teachers very much tense up. Like, you know, and it was clear that this boy was one of the sort of, you know, he's the kid who likes to stir the pot in class. <laughs> there was this sort of like, oh no, he's gonna do it. He's mm -hmm. gonna do something. <laughs> he knows but, how to be a pain. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah well, there uh, you go. Uh, <laughs> you, the Malcolm the X of the room. wasn't sort of like, that's outrageous. How could you say such a thing? <laughs> Instead, it became this opportunity. And, you know, we talked about, it, well, essentially, Rodney, I worked my way mm -hmm. a long way around to, to giving the answer yes, mm -hmm. and that I thought it was a great question. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is that it's only white folks that are willing to work on racism that are willing to admit <laughs> to being racist. And, and then we talked about what does that mean? How have we been conditioned? What have we learned along the way? What do we need to unteach ourselves? Um, you know, and got into broader categories about biases and even, you know, and then can talk about the other layers of privilege. And, you know, one of the things I've, I've been doing social justice work with kids for many years, you know, Reggie's been doing it since I was a little kid. Um, and by virtue of just of being black, walking often into very white spaces, he's doing it even just by showing up, even if all he was doing was playing folk music. Um, but the being on stage together has opened up a lot of doors, I think. And one of the things Reggie really taught me early on is that there are things I can say to audiences that he cannot say. And obviously there are things that Reggie can say that I can't say, but being able and, and sort of learning to be better about embracing that and how we talk about these things and how we take turns, that's really been how the show has grown. And mm. uh, yeah, it's been an incredible opportunity. I, I have learned so much from Reggie along the way. So one of the things I was curious is how when you both talk about racism, when I get in a chat arguments or discussions, maybe arguments is the wrong word with people, I always go first to the dictionary definition. And what it means very, very simply is it is the belief that one's a race or one's race is better than another or all of the others. And so um, and then from there, everything seems to stem. But when you when you're talking about how, is, is that the way you would define it or how, how do you define it or do you keep it open when you're talking to young kids? Well, I think one of the things we want to always point out that, you know, um, racism has also the the ingredient of power involved, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, the fact that we have prejudices is true about everybody. And that's usually where most people kind of go off the rails. You know, you say we all have prejudice and people go, oh, I don't have prejudice. And, uh, and they start to sort of define themselves as prejudice free or, uh, or they just get defensive. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most important things in what we do is not to be defensive about having the conversation, not to, you know, we talk about our relationship. We talk about the difficulty of dealing with those labels. Uh, but it really is about establishing relationship and uh, that you know our relationship to each other and our relationship in the world 
uh, gives us the opportunity to examine all of the difficult things and and we try to you know just show that um, we're willing to take them on um, I think you know obviously you have a different conversation with a, a you know group of second or third or fourth graders than you have with eighth graders in you know high school um, so a lot of that comes from and I love the fact that you know on that particular day that Alistair started with a question. He invited that young man to define what he was thinking. Because uh, so often we're interested in dispensing information, you know, and just kind of going at it and telling people what this is and what that is and what this is about and what the limits are. Um, the idea really is to, you know, when I took training from the National Coalition Building Institute, they just impressed upon us that they were not giving us that training so that we could go out and change people's minds or that we could go out necessarily and tell people a whole bunch of stuff because they pointed out and I've, I've really leaned into this as the years have gone on that you know people come into the situation with a lot of information and that's true of kids too and you can't load in new information until you find out the information that's already there so it's asking questions and inviting you know them to give answers and them to represent what it is they know or what they think they know and then we can have a conversation about it yeah i feel like part of what makes what you do so effective is that idea that you're respecting children uh in a way that not everybody does that they are wrestling with big issues, that they have things to offer. It's not just your job to tell them what to think. You're getting them, you're encouraging them to think more deeply, but it partly is successful because you're assuming that they are capable of that. And yeah. I think that's a really important part of any successful program for kids. But I think the two of you model that as well as modeling the other things you've discussed about you know, the conversation and the mutual respect. It's the respect for the kids as well. Well, thanks, David. I, you know, one of the other, I think, secret ingredients to this show that I noticed is that um, we've, we really have done this for almost literally every age. We've done it for little kids from, you know, first, second grade. We've done it uh, quite a bit now for middle school and for high school. And we've done it in community groups with mostly adults. Um, and I think just the years of kind of putting in the work you know, partly what it takes is hus as a hustling musician, you know, to learn to play for as many audiences as you can is that Reggie and I are uh, both very comfortable kind of ramping things up and down as the situation calls for. And when I think about, you know, model, you know, uh, other versions of how this program might work, I, I can't, I think it'd be very hard to find another partner like Reggie that, that we can do that as, a, as seamlessly together as we do. Um, and that's part of what I love about it is that we often, I mean, you guys came to the show we did in Philly, which is one of the few shows we've done live because we've been in such a crazy time. Mm -hmm. um, but, and we really had no idea who was gonna show up. We didn't know if it was gonna be little kids, bigger kids, obviously there'd be parents there. And in the end, we had some very little kids. We had some upper elementary, we had parents, and then we had quite a few adults who showed up without kids. Um, and I still, you know, my nervousness, I, I have, I, I always come back to like, oh, we're going to get, is it, can we do it? Is, it, is this going to be the one that breaks the camera? <laughs> and I'm getting better and better to just sort of trust, like, we got this. We're, we, 
you know, we will, we will trust ourselves to speak to who's there and find the right temperature for how to do that. There's a very broad base of experience that, you know, when, when you're comfortable and, you know, our relationship continues to grow. So, you know, there's attention to the ingredients of, of the issues that we're talking about, but there's also a humor and there's a, a, an ease and a, a, you know, relaxed feeling about who we are as people that we're also translating to the audience. And I think also it works to our benefit that we're, we're different ages. Um, you know, that, that gives us, um, that gives a different look to what people are seeing. Um, obviously, you know, being different colors and, you know, with different narratives, um, it gives us a lot of places to go. And, um, I, you know, I think as I've performed over the years, uh, I, I just really believe that when you're present in the room and aware of who you are, um, the opportunity to speak truthfully with integrity, but also um, with compassion in any situation, um, it really works to your benefit. And, you know, if you screw up, you can just say, oh, that didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're also modeling something positive. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was curious whether you sometimes have younger kids when you you joke around about your relative ages. You ever have younger kids say, how could Reggie be older? He's shorter. <laughs> I haven't come up with that one no, yet. Because <laughs> I often think that, you know, this is totally beside the point, but you know, kids are often told, oh, you're getting so big, you know, <laughs> right. to, to equate with getting older. So I think some kids get confused by that and think big means older. And if you're taller, <laughs> you must legit. be older. In our outside of our live shows, though, we've been uh, we sat down for our performance at Passim and we're always on screens. Nobody has any height in Zoom. Nah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> that he's so much bigger than uh. me. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I own the gray hair, so, you know. <laughs> that might balance out the height. It might balance yeah. out the yeah. You know, one of the things, David, that, that Reggie and I did, at least in the video, which I'm glad we did, is that we also pointed out like the privileges that we both have. Um, mm -hmm. We talked about our differences, but then we talked some about our commonalities and just pointing out that we're both men, that we're both straight, that we're both, um, you know, able-bodied. I, I feel like that's an important piece of the program. You know, we're having so many conversations in our society right now. And, you know, the, just the latest, of many, many controversies is Dave Chappelle. And, um, mm -hmm. but you know, the concept that you can, when, so often we can't get past square one. Like we can't even have a basic concept conversation about race, which is such, which creates such different opportunities and experiences in America. But if you can get past square one and start to look around at the other squares, you can dig deeper and talk about the ways in which Yes, straight black men do have privilege over black women and gay, gay black and LGBTQ black members of our society. And, you know, we haven't dug so deep into that because we're often dealing with quite young ages. But I think even in just sort of addressing it tangentially, we're opening that possibility. And that, mm -hmm. that again, is something that it takes me and Reggie being together in a room to be able to do effectively, I think. Yeah, I would agree. One of the things I found particularly powerful and effective in your program was your use of stories. Um, and I, I, some of the times when I was the most moved were well, where you were either telling a personal story uh, or a story about 
somebody in history like Elizabeth Cotton. Um, and um, so I, I, I was wondering both of, you know, if you had some things to say about that aspect of it, but also how you keep when you're telling the same story time after time, are there any things that you do to keep it fresh and real and, you know, so that it has that impact? It doesn't just become, oh, I've told this a million times. <laughs> Well, that's what performing is all about, isn't it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I think one of the things is that if you, uh, if you are telling a story that you really treasure yourself for whatever reason, uh, why, why you chose that story to highlight something, why, what it is about that person or that situation that you really uh, appreciate, what is there to learn about that, then you have a variety of ways that you can come at that story um, and all of the ingredients you know the basic details about the story or the person um, remain basically the same but you know the story will probably come out of a different frame um, in live performance you know um, where we put that song and and how we access it uh, what that triggers between the two of us um, as we're telling that story, um, what are our general reactions? And I think that's part of just being present in the moment. Um, I know, yeah, we've all had the experience, I think, of, you know, doing multiple shows at, you know, the school, and you get in the middle of the second show, and you go, did I say that already? <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> have I sung that song? <laughs> um, and I realize in those moments that I'm not quite there. <laughs> you know, I'm not quite present. Um, so it's respecting your audience, I think, is, is where I would jump off. Um, that every I, I never do the same show twice. And I, I see in what we do that we have the same temperature of creating on the fly. Uh, we know what's coming. You know, you know what the basic parameters are. But you can go anywhere with that. And, uh, uh, you know, that's, I think, what makes me so comfortable in working with Alistair. I, I love the fact that he's open to a spontaneity that uh, doesn't make the show. I've, I've worked with performers who got upset if you change the frame and uh, introduce something in a different way and, and you feel that tension. So, you know, I, I don't work well that way. <laughs> we actually have quite a bit in common and I think we probably learned a lot from some of the same people, including, you know, Pete and, oh, I, you know, the, just in Americana, I think, stories are very central to what both Reggie and I do. And um, I guess, you know, there are, you know, jokes we all have that for our adult audiences or whatever we, we fill in, we have those kind of go-to lines. And I can certainly get tired of those. And um, the good stories, though, I don't get tired of because they're always evolving with the audience. You, even, even when we have to do it on Zoom, which is obviously less than ideal, you can see people's reactions, and as they are, uh, in, you know, absorbing those stories in real time, they feel fresh. I think, um, and I and I love that. You know, I'm I'm somebody I struggle with being present in my daily life, but on stage and especially on stage with Reggie, I feel very much like this is a time, sort of church time. It's like mm -hmm. here in the moment and really feel that. It's funny, the, um, 
it really is a conversation and that we're having on stage and you know the music the stories they come in they come out we recently did a uh, an online uh, presentation of the show and um so i hadn't watched the show in you know in months and uh, so as we put it up for the gathered audience to watch i'm watching the show and i was so surprised by what came when <laughs> <laughs> Largely because, yeah, we haven't, we didn't sit down and script this, um, and and so what happened happened in the moment, and once the show's over, with it, with exception to the uh, the particulars of what song is going in what place and what we might say about that in a general sense, when my shows end and our shows together, I have no idea what I said in a moment. <laughs> um, so listening back, I go, oh, oh, look at that. Um, and I just see, and I think this is what really connects with the audience. What I see is that we're enjoying each other. We're actually, and we're enjoying singing these songs. Mm -hmm. And every time, you know, we do, you know, be a pain, um, I'm, I'm hearing some different part of Alistair's delivery of that and fitting in, in the way, but, uh, it's really about enjoying the moment. So that's one of the ways I kind of guard uh, against, you know, getting kind of tired and, and old and and stayed about what it is I'm doing. And I think that just comes from years of, of relaxing into what it is you do and, and believing in it because you realize that there are a lot of ways you could go. And, um, and so you begin to entertain that. And, you know, I'll throw something out there and Alistair, you know, reacts to it. I probably won't throw that same thing the next time we perform. That is, I mean, when, it's, when I say that I've learned from Reggie along the way, this is one of the things is that when we, we Reggie mentioned we had had uh, a number of conversations through the pandemic. I was, I was doing this work with Family Music Forward for listeners who don't know is a, a racial justice group in the children's music space and telling Reggie about what we were doing in that space, we were talking about you know, the folk music space and um, how some of that model could be replicated. Um, so those were the kinds of conversations. And there was a point at which I asked Reggie, I just said, I, I feel like these conversations we're having just together right here, that, that this could be a conversation we could do for kids. And when Reggie agreed, I then spent the next few months like fretting over what are we gonna do? And as we got closer and closer, um, one of the things I had to resign myself to is that Reggie was very much in demand, still is, like, um, which is wonderful and overdue. And I think a lot of people have been seeking out his wisdom and counsel. Um, so I had to be in line there a little bit. And when, when we got to, um, I finally just gave in, like, all right, <laughs> we're just, we had booked Passim, you know, that we were going to come do, do the performance there. And just realize, like, we're not going to figure this out ahead of time, but we'll just have to make that be the thing then. And so we got together literally the night before. I think the one framework we had come up with was let's just let's wrap this around songs because that, that's that's what we love. So let's each pick two or three songs that we want to bring to this performance and tell stories about those songs. Why do we pick them? Why do they speak to us? Um, and that's what we did. And, and then we got together the night before we 
we practiced those songs. Um, you know, that was the first time that we had played them together. And then we went to Passim the next day and just whatever was going to happen, happened. And, you know, we did do some editing to the show, but not a lot, pretty much what's on, on camera and which what has become the framework for this show for live performances is what is what we kept. And I'm still kind of amazed that it worked as well as it did because we just, well, you know, and, and that's, that's, I guess that's the part that I'm still learning is to trust, to trust that like what feels new is actually like 20 or in Reggie's case, more like 40 plus years of, <laughs> of, of doing this and performing and um, yeah. But it was still new for the two of you to yeah. come together to do this. So that, that part you had yeah. to figure out and well, you know, worked. it's really, it's funny, David, the, um, yeah, I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I mean, I've done, you know, quite a bit of collaborating over the course of years, obviously, and, you know, they're all different. And, um, but, you know, my least favorite ones are the ones where we spend hours rehearsing and perfecting, you know, songs and arrangements. I mean, I'm a stickler for, you know, getting an arrangement, you know, that works, but, you know, it's been really amazing that, uh, and I think part of this is, you know, Alice says he kind of gave in and you know, <laughs> said, I have to trust. Uh, but there, you know, that music does that, you know, music creates an opportunity. So we're having a conversation within a conversation. And, you know, really, I know that, you know, you know, Alistair is a consummate musician and he's a, uh, an experienced person who takes what he does seriously. And, um, and I bring that energy to it. Uh, I think where I've had experiences that did not, uh, did not have this same energy and it did not really work. Um, was where the trust level of, of just being together, um, wasn't enough to, you know, I, I remember one collaboration I was in and, and we did what I would have considered perfect shows, um, at least in terms of connection to audience and delivery of material. And my partner just, you know, that wasn't good enough. And um, I have a very low tolerance for that kind of, um, that kind of atmosphere. I think we, you know, we have discovered um, that we are well-suited in temperament and we are, you know, we're working the same kind of material, but we're bringing a different lens to that material and uh, we're allowing each other to be who we are on stage. And, um, and then within that framework, uh, we're producing some really wonderful moments and um, it just makes me want to, you know, trust this more. So, um, you just spoke about the selection of the song. So how did you, each of you decide what songs to bring uh, in and how did you go through that process and maybe talk about one or two of the songs that you selected uh, to bring to the show? Sure. Um, well, we really chose for ourselves. Um, it was like, let's each pick two songs that we would, kind of lead and we'll pick a couple of songs that that can be really sort of singing at the same time although they ended up all being that um and i my guideposts were i really wanted to 
I mean, I think part of the reason that it worked musically is that we picked the songs that we really loved the most and that spoke to our hearts. And um, Reggie's a hell of a guitar player and musician too, and that helps a lot. Um, so I, I did Freight Train by Elizabeth Cotton. It is kind of my go-to song. You know, if I sit down and I'm playing guitar, and I talked about this in the program, if I just pick up a guitar and I'm sort of looking off into space, that's the song that I start playing. It's one of the, the first songs that I learned to finger pick. My dad taught it to me. Um, but along the way, I've learned so much more about the story of the person behind that song and her personal story, uh, which is a story, uh, you know, steeped in the story of America about a young uh, Black girl. I mean, she, uh, extraordinary. She wrote the song when she was 12. Um, and she played the guitar upside down. It was her brother's guitar. And, um, and then all these adults told her to put the guitar away because it wasn't right for a girl to play guitar. It wasn't Christian. Um, but you know, if you look around America at the time, she was growing up in the early part of the 20th century in North Carolina, who were the black women musicians that she could look to? There, there were some singers, but how many guitar players had she ever seen who looked like her? So it's, it's a story that really speaks to representation, why it matters, um, but it's also, a pretty extraordinary personal story that despite all of those odds, somehow she managed to get her songs out to the world. And, you know, uh, I, I've always just found that an extraordinary story. I love telling the story about Elizabeth. I'm constantly learning new things about it. So I wanted to sing a song by one of my favorite songwriters. And there's a great story that goes with this song. Her name was Elizabeth Cotton. And she wrote this song when she was 12 years old. It goes like this. Freight train, freight train, run so fast. Freight train, freight train, run so fast. Please don't tell what train I'm on. So they won't know what route I've gone. You wanna try that with me? Freight train, freight train, run so fast, try it. Freight train, freight train, run so fast again. Freight train, freight train, run so fast. Please don't tell what train I'm on. Please don't tell what train I'm on. So they won't know what route I've gone. So they won't know what route I've gone. You think you got it? Let's try it all together. Here we go. Freight train, freight train, run so fast. Freight train, freight train, run so fast. Please, please don't tell what train I'm on. So they won't know what route I've gone. And then it goes. When I die, Lord, bury me. Way down on old Chestnut Street, so I can hear old number nine when she goes rolling by. Here we go. Freight train, freight train, run so fast. 
Freight train, freight train, run so fast. Please don't tell what train I'm on, so they won't know what route I'm on. Elizabeth Cotton, as a young girl, wanted to learn to play the guitar, so she started to borrow her brother's guitar out from under his bed. Now, her brother was right-handed, and Elizabeth was left-handed, and she didn't have time to change the strings before he came back and caught her. So she learned to play the guitar upside down. If you can imagine, with the strings the way they are, turning the guitar upside down, it meant that she played the high strings with her thumb and the low strings with her fingers, which gave her these bright sounds that other people didn't have. She learned all these chords and then she started to write songs as young as 12 years old. Have any of you ever tried to write your own song? It's fun, it can be hard, but she was awfully good at it at a very young age. And she wrote this song and she wrote some other songs, Shake Sugary, and then she put the guitar down for years and years because the elders in her community said, you shouldn't be playing guitar. It's not right for a young girl to play guitar. It's sinful. She didn't have a lot of role models, grown-up women who she knew who played guitar. And she was a poor black girl living in North Carolina. She didn't see people who looked like her on, well, the radio. I guess you can't really see people on the radio. <laughs> she didn't hear a lot of people who looked like her playing guitar. And so she did what she was told. She wasn't a pain at that point. She put that guitar away and she went and she did what her mother did for years and years. She worked as a maid in people's houses all down through the south and then up in the north. And then through a series of weird circumstances, she found herself working for the Seeger family. Now this is Charles Seeger, Pete's father, and it was his second family. And one day, after changing the beds, sweeping out downstairs, Elizabeth borrowed a guitar out from under somebody's bed. And she was sitting out in the backyard and playing this song. Seeger came out and heard her playing. Within a few years, Elizabeth was on the main stage at the Newport Folk Festival, the biggest folk festival in America. And she was playing this song, and every young finger picker in America wanted to learn it. She was in her 70s when that happened. And that was the beginning of her music career, her professional music career as a 70-something-year-old. Took her a long time. And I love this story because I'm not exactly sure what it's about. I'm not sure if it's a story about fate or persistence or luck. But it makes me think about all the musicians that we never heard and the scientists whose work we never got to see because some person told them, you're not supposed to do that. We got lucky with Elizabeth. But I wonder how many other songs got left out there. 
Let's sing this song one more time. I'll do it for her. Freight train, freight train, run so fast. Freight train, freight train, run so fast. Please don't tell what train I'm on so they won't know what route I've gone. So that was one that I wanted to bring to the table. I think the first one, Reg, you mentioned was Wait in the Water. A really foundational spiritual, um, you know, and the spirituals canon, certainly in the top three in terms of songs that have uh, resonated through the African-American diaspora um, since the time of slavery. Um, and it's been a song that has, yeah, been my go-to song. It's been my touchstone from my childhood, but also in looking at all the situations, uh, whether you're talking about Harriet Tubman, whether you're talking about the black soldiers who you know, fought in the Civil War or any other war, whether you're talking about civil rights movement and Fannie Lou Hamer and, and uh, Ella Baker and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you can go a lot of places with that song. But at the same time, in the pandemic, that song was one of the prime connectors to me that um, you can look at the past and see ways in which in the present day we can persevere. Spirituals were songs that the people made up and they were making those songs up because they were so often reminding themselves that one day they were gonna be free. Now the thing is that they heard stories as they were in slavery about some other people who had been in slavery a long time before them. There were stories that they actually heard when they sometimes either went to church or when ministers would come and speak to them reading from the Bible. And they heard those stories and these were stories about the Jewish people who, who were in slavery in Egypt. My ancestors heard those stories and they said, wait a minute, that story sounds familiar. That sounds like us. And they said, I think we're gonna make up a song. Because those people in Egypt, those Jews, when they got on their way to freedom, they had to do some wading in the water. And you can help sing this song too. Here's what you do. I'm gonna sing a line that kind of talking about what those people went through. It says, who were those children dressed in red? And I'll show you how it goes. Well, your answer would be this. You say, God's gonna trouble the water. Very easy. And you've already sung, so your voice should be warmed up. Are you ready to sing it? God's gonna trouble the water. Say, yeah. 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 Oh, thank you. It goes like this. Well, now, 
us children are dressed in red. You say, God's going to trouble the water. Must be ones that Moses let say. God's going to trouble the water. Well, who with us children are dressed in white? And I love the fact that, you know, um, I offered that song and um, 
and so we began to do it but i've also learned to, to open myself to just the energy that comes from singing that song and so you know i i sing that song in somewhat of a different way with alistair than i sing it in any other context uh, that also um, i think you know one of the things about the songs that we bring. I love the fact that we chose to do This Little Light of Mine, which has a really interesting connection. It's a song, probably the first song I ever sang from According to My Mom. And it's a song that Alistair didn't really like when he first heard it. <laughs> and he tells the story of that, how that changed. Uh, and then I love the fact, you know, when I'm watching the, the video, that Alistair leads it. <laughs> and, you know, so here's a song that comes from my tradition and that I kind of brought up as a song I wanted to do. But the flip is that Alice is such lead it, and, you know, and it works that way because, you know, uh, because it does. So, um, and then, you know, he, he offered his song, Be a Pain, which I love because it, it widens out this conversation. It brings in other aspects of how people have to deal with situations in which people, in which there's injustice and how we can be effective in that. Uh, because a lot of times, you know, certainly when we're talking about black and white issues, and uh, we're only talking about race, and we're only talking about African-American issues or American issues as they've risen in, you know, racial difficulties throughout the, the decades. And now we're, you know, we're widening the frame. No, this isn't the only thing we're working on in terms of our creating a beloved community where all people can gain access. Um, and I, I think those songs, and you know, I'm sure over a course of time, you know, we'll offer other songs into the mix. But it was really for me, it just was such a uh, uh, a ground uh, establishing uh, way to come into each other. It ended up also, you know, it's that trusting the the, the process again, trusting ourselves. Like we picked the songs that moved us, but as it turned out, those ended up being the perfect songs um, because through them, you know, by doing nothing really more than choosing a song order, we were able to talk about hundreds of years of American history, you know, starting with Wade in the Water, Reggie tells powerful stories about how that song was used by enslaved people who were escaping. Um, we talk about early 20th century with Elizabeth Cotton, we talked quite a bit about civil rights. One of, another song Reggie brought to the table was a song by Greg Greenway about John Lewis. Um, gives us an opportunity. It's a great song and it gives us an opportunity to talk about him in particular. And of course, you know, John had just died early in the pandemic. Um, and then uh, would be a pain and, and now that we're doing it live Reggie is bringing some of his newer songs it gives us a chance to talk about why we continue to write songs creating new things that tradition matters but we have to keep writing things to fit um, the causes and times that we live in and then kind of bringing it around with this light this little light um, and these two very different experiences Reggie grew up with it in the church and hit black church I didn't grow up with it but my daughter fell in love with it when she had cancer and started singing it. Um, well, so it was one of her first songs. And that was the sort of turned me around on the song was hearing her sing it. This little light of mine, I'm gonna 
comparing those stories so really those songs that we just picked because we love them gave us the opportunity to talk about you know, not I can't say all of the things because there's so many things but it gave us a very good framework to to work through some of the things we most wanted to talk about and all of it is kind of looking backwards in order to look forwards looking backwards in order to reflect on the present and uh, and that's that all came out that also makes me think of, you know, some of the songs you mentioned, like Greg's song and, and some of Reggie's newer songs, like On Solid Ground, are so clearly grounded in the call and response tradition of those older songs. So it mm -hmm. musically makes that connection really palpable that mm -hmm. you are making new work, building out of that fertile ground of that yeah. tradition. Um, and it's so much fun to sing those songs all together in community with you uh, in, in the audience. We will not rest till the storm is over. We will not lay this burden down. We will keep it 
each other strong. Through love and carry on, till we stand all together on solid ground. Till we stand all together on solid ground. Till we stand all together on solid ground. And I'm, I'm glad also that you brought up Alistair's song, Be a Pain, because one aspect of that that I particularly love is I think it's a brilliant use of that very child-centered concept of how <laughs> kids so often are considered to be a pain or want to be a pain or whatever. And to link that to the impulse to activism yeah. is just a brilliant thing. And it's, it's, it feels real. It feels honest. But it's also just like very clever. Uh, and, and I think, you know... For, for adults as well, for parents to recognize that this thing that maybe they find annoying, they could consider to be a positive quality because it's something like some of their heroes. And, you know, I, I had an experience like that. One of the first times I got to interact with Pete Seeger uh, mm -hmm. individually, I was organizing a PMN concert with a ridiculous number of acts. Maybe Reggie remembers this. There were 17 <laughs> acts. Uh, and so Pete Seeger called me up and, you know, first I was really excited that Pete was calling me up, but then he started complaining uh, that, you know, there's, this is ridiculous. It's going to be a disaster. And then immediately he started thinking, uh, you know, okay, well, here's what you should do. You should have two sets up, setups on the stage, have one side dark, and then just suddenly switch it. And I was thinking, okay, he's being kind of crotchety like my grandparents, but then out of that, he's the perpetual activist. He can't just complain he has to come up with a solution, <laughs> yeah. right? So I, anyway, just making those connections, I think between some of the maybe aspects of people that can seem annoying and thinking of how actually those are really important attributes you know, to us uh, is another whole nother world of contribution that you're making with that, I think. <laughs> it's a key, you know, it's a key thing for me mm -hmm. as the kid who spent a lot of time in the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs> very much that kid. Why am um, I not surprised? <laughs> it took me years to uh, learn to channel some of that. So I'm very drawn to those. That boy in that class who, I think he had a genuine question with, are you a racist? Mm -hmm. But he also very clearly wanted to make everybody <laughs> fall off their chair. And I was that kid too. And I, I love those kids, mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes you can't reel them in but it's it's amazing how and and i'll i'll be the first to say it's a whole lot easier as an outside force mm -hmm. whether you're talking about your own kids mm -hmm. <laughs> or if you're talking about a classroom teacher mm -hmm. it's a lot easier for for me and reggie as outside agitators to swoop into a room and kind of fan a little bit of that like mm -hmm. mischievousness because <laughs> we don't have to deal with it on a daily basis <laughs> no but it's I always love it. to say like, hey, this kid's this is a smart kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like maybe the kid who always gets in trouble, like, you know, take a listen to what he's he's asking some important mm -hmm. questions. Uh, yeah, I mean, I always love coming into a school and uh, sometimes they'll, you know, set you up you know, before a show in the teacher's room and people will tell you who the kids in right. the classroom are, you know, to watch out for. And, you know, don't call on him because he's, you know, this and that's always the kid I go for. You know, it's, uh, you know, because uh, there's something going on with that kid, you know, and there's some level of interest. And, yeah, you can't always reel them in. But I think uh, one of the things I love about what we do, um, because I, I do see that, you know, Alistair respects 
kids. He, uh, he honors them with presence, uh, which has always been a big thing for me. Um, you know, the, the opportunity to have children see you as someone who's accessible. And, and you know, I, I generally come into a school, and even with auditoriums, I mean, there are times when, you know, you come in and it's kind of unruly. And my whole attitude is, hey, you know, I'm here, you're here, and I got some really interesting stuff I could share with you. Um, we got to reach a quick relationship so I can tell you this really cool stuff. And generally, you know, it works. Sometimes I have to say, hey, a young girl in the pink dress, could you please go to the back of the room? Uh, mm -hmm. You're interrupting our fun. And, um, and you know, I always go, who, me? And I go, yeah, you, mm -hmm. go to the back. <laughs> we got to get to having fun. Uh, but just that whole sense that you're there, you're not some threat, whatever is going on in the culture of the school, yeah, we, we come in, we're the magic people who, you know, have these songs and these stories. Uh, but, you know, that we know that stories bring people alive and and that's kids or adults so you know once you launch in and they see that you know you're not cowed by whatever the constraints are um usually you know, we're on one of the things we can learn from is history when we look back at people who have stood up and led in our country before us and they have done that in many different ways now, this is a song that I wrote about leadership, and it was inspired by a phrase that was used by uh, John Lewis, the great civil rights leader, who talked about causing good trouble, good trouble. And I wanted to translate that a little bit to kind of a kid-size perspective. And I thought, you know, kids are always told not to be a pain. kids could get behind. <laughs> but keep in mind, this is being a good pain. <laughs> and you know the difference. <laughs> if you see something that's wrong, raise your hand and say that's wrong. Point it out and name that thing by its name. Don't stand by and stare. If it's wrong, it's your affair. Don't be quiet. Make a riot. Be a pain. Be a pain. Be a pain. Shout about it and complain. Ignore the crowd and go against the grain. Don't be polite. Raise your voice and do what's right. Be a pain. Be a pain. Be a pain. When Rosa Parks sat on that bus, she chose to make a fuss. She chose to break the rules and take the blame. Her choice to sit and fight helped to bring on civil rights. Because one strong woman chose to be a pain. Be a pain, be a pain. Shout about it and complain. When they say you have to move, say I'll remain. Don't be polite, raise your voice and do what's right. Be a pain, be a pain, be a pain. Harvey Milk chose to run for the council board and won. Even though the 
mom said you can't because you're gay. One brave LGBTQ elected leader ain't and new. You can change things if you choose to be a pain. That right. Be a pain, be a pain. Shout about it and complain. Tell him I won't let you make me feel ashamed. Don't be polite, raise your voice and do what's right. Be a pain, be a pain, be a pain. Here's a verse that fits these last couple of weeks. If you're into sports, this verse is for you. A tennis star named Billie Jean told the world she had a dream that men and women would be paid the same. She refused to hit that ball till there was equal pay for all. She was a king because she was a royal pain. Be a pain, be a pain. Shout about it and complain. If they refuse to pay, refuse to play the game. Don't be polite, raise your voice, do what's right. Be a pain, be a pain, be a pain. Kids from Parkland led the fight for something they all knew was right. They said it's time for us to finally make a change. If adults can't compromise, we must go march for our lives. They spoke out and led the charge. They all were pains. Be a pain, be a pain. Shout about it and complain. When you're faced with laws, you know what just insane. Don't be polite, raise your voice to do what's right. Be a pain, be a pain, be a pain. Sing if you got it. Be a pain, be a pain. Shout about it and complain. Ignore the crowd and go against the grain. Don't be polite, raise your voice to do what's right. Be a pain, be a pain, be a pain. I'll share, I'll share quickly a, uh, just to show um, how much you do screw up. That's how you learn is by, by screwing up. <laughs> we don't tend to, to flag those ones. We tend to learn and then put them behind us. But um, I have screwed up so many ways and so many times over the years and you learn every time. But one, one screwing up that sticks with me that is, I think specific, you know, speaks to this program. Um, you know, to Reggie's point, when you come in as a performer, and and you guys know this. I mean, you you've both been in this situation too. Um, you're standing up in front of hundreds of kids in a school, especially middle school, upper elementary school. You know, there's the kids who, and I was again one of these kids. You see the room full of kids, and you think opportunity. This. I can I can be not only a class clown I can be a clown for the entire group. <laughs> what a chance! Mm -hmm. And you got to learn early on as a performer that if you don't know how to nip that in the bud, you they will walk all over you like a substitute teacher. So you have to learn how to like lay down some law, um, and sometimes that means putting kids on the spot a little right. bit, um, like turning all those heads towards them, you know, but then trying to do, and then once you've made your point, trying to slowly back away, like a, you know, like a Panther. <laughs> <laughs> we're still friends. We're still friends. I just had to say something, 
But I was doing a performance not that long ago, maybe four or five years ago for some middle schoolers in a very white school district. In fact, in my hometown here in Melrose. And the audience was fairly, it's funny how often in your own hometown is where you run into stuff, but they were pretty rowdy this day. Um, and there were a couple of girls, this is a very white school, and there were a couple of black girls about three rows in who were in the middle who were doing a lot of talking to each other and stuff. And then at one point, one girl took her hood and wrapped it up, pulled the strings tight and wrapped it up so like her face was completely gone inside her hood, which in the moment I interpreted as like, um, you know, I'm going to sleep during your show. And I felt the need like that I, I had to do the old nipping it in the bud. And so I stopped and I sort of turned faces towards her as I said, can you please take your hood off? I wanna see your beautiful face. So even so that was a mistake. Saying your beautiful face to a girl is not something that men want to do anymore. But more yeah. to the point, what I did not see, and this is what the work with Family Music Forward, with Reggie, with kind of, you know, a real sharpened attention to anti-racism work in my own life in the last couple of years. What I could not see at that time was that I was talking about civil rights. I was talking about black history in a school that was largely white. And these couple of black kids in that part of the audience, you know, what I have since read because I've sought out these testimonies is that black kids in those spaces often feel like all eyes are upon them. Mm -hmm. And how are you gonna respond? Like, is this okay? Are you, and it's, um, you know, kids will describe a feeling of dread. Like when they're in these school spaces as the black kid in the room, are everyone's gonna be looking at them. I don't wanna talk about it. Let's talk about anything other than black history about right. civil rights. And I, and I could not see that. And I couldn't see the discomfort that she may have had. I could only see, you know, an act of disrespect or sort of ramping stuff up. And mm. so this is, this is, this is a, a big lesson for me. And it's, um, but I also think this is why representation on stage matters. And I continue to do these programs on my own, the other kinds of programs that I do. But I love so much doing the programs with Reggie because I think we do get a different response. I think the black kids in the room feel differently. I think the white kids in the room feel differently probably than Reggie goes in on his own. This this is something that's sort of greater than the sum of our parts. Is as mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Powerful. It's such a pleasure yeah. to get to just sit and talk with you two. You know, mm -hmm. I, I feel like, you know, um, the work you do is is so valuable all the time. Mm -hmm. And obviously right now there's a little bit of a heightened focus mm -hmm. in general on these issues, but mm -hmm. it's always needed. Um, and um, the other thing I just want to mention as a sort of a side note is, you know, I, I know people love to rag on social media and how, how negative social media can be, but you are two people who I think make some of the most positive use mm -hmm. of social media, that the, the kinds of thoughtful, um, thorough, kind, mm -hmm. provoking uh, posts that you two do on Facebook are, head and shoulders above the way most people use that medium. Uh, so I just really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think um, you model again, uh, how that can be used in a instructive and powerful and positive way compared to how often it mm -hmm. is not. <laughs> 
Thank you. Thank you for noticing. I'm still ashamed that I, I, I quite like social media, despite its many, many problems. Um, I do find that, and, and I'm often tempted to do this too, that it's, it's so easy to sort of, you know, to disintegrate into the kind of giving in to the, let me attack you and you attack me stuff. Reggie does this ex exceptionally well. Um, he gets so much re response to the way he writes. You know, and I think he's, he, here he is a black voice in a largely white community in the folk mm -hmm. world, and he takes on issues regularly, you know, and he speaks with uh, wisdom and equanimity and people really listen. So, you know, again, I learned from Reggie. Mm. I do, I, we're in the business of talking, you know, mm -hmm. music, I think for both of us, music is a tool Mm -hmm. to do what mm -hmm. we really like to do which is just talk mm -hmm. probably way too much but we are <laughs> we are talking <laughs> well, you i know, think I, rodney and i would admit that we are also <laughs> talkers yes <laughs> uh, i i really come to you know um uh, i value conversation i value um what i learned from it i i love the story that alistair told about you know that young woman in mm -hmm. and those are the moments when i think um you know, we make the greatest breakthroughs and, you know, I, mm -hmm. I never enter, I try never to enter a situation, whether it's performance or whether it's responding to something online with the idea that I'm going to teach, you know, preach something to, you know, to, to the audience. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it comes, I, I learn a lot about myself um, and um, about my thought process and, uh, you know, balancing um, what I share, um, I, I think the fact that Alistair and I have these traits in common, uh, really contributes to making what we do together, uh, powerful, effective, mm -hmm. and, uh, and particularly compassionate. Mm. So I think, you know, I think we remind each other in what we do, uh, of what the struggle is. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, I, I really, I value that for what this connection has brought into my life. Um, I learned from Alistair too, you know, the, um, uh, there's so many things that he brings to this work as a person, as a father, uh, as a community citizen. Um, so we're, I think we've, we've got a really good fabric here and, and um, I'm just really excited about seeing what happens going forward. Okay. Excellent. Well, we're excited to hear it too. Yes, <laughs> I can't wait. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for the work you guys do. Oh, hey, you're welcome. Really, yeah, yeah, and uh, it's a you pleasure. Continue the conversation. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, great. Yeah, well, I'm sure that we will. Well, I'm yes. sure that we'll want to, uh, you know, down the road, with you together or individually. Yes. you know, have more of these kinds of conversations. There's infinite numbers of things that we could talk about. Yes. been listening to music for the new revolution i'm rodney wittenberg i'm david heitler clevens music for the new revolution is recorded at melody vision recording studios and produced written and edited by 
David Heitler-Clevins and Rodney Wittenberg. And special thanks to our interns from Oberlin College, Valerie Kellner and Julian Worth. You can find us at musicforthenewrevolution.com or MFTNR. Like us on Facebook and follow our Spotify playlist. And our podcasts can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. And you can also be a patron, a supporter of our podcast on Patreon. This is Music, Music for, for the, the New Revolution. revolution. Bank accounts in Bahamas. Wall Street crime will never send you to the slammer. Tell all the children in the arms of the mamas. The F-15 is a homicide.